0: Again, good morning. Um, if you have a copy of Scripture, if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Again, as we continue our, our study on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, again, remembering a few years back we went through all of Matthew, but um, knowing we would come back to to this section to spend some more more focused and pointed time. And again, just as a point of refresher, we've, we've looked over the past um, three weeks, looking at what we know as the Beatitudes and um, those who are, are blessed or happy and content in the kingdom, the qualities of which the Spirit will produce and work in them. And in that, these, these ones who are the blessed ones, who are um, poor in spirit and mourn and are meek and are peacemakers and are pure in heart, we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are the ones who would be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That We are to, in that, um, in a sense, preserve and permeate um, our, our, our society and culture around us with, with a righteousness that the Spirit works in us. And so today we come to this section, again, keeping in mind that, that while we have headings and verse breakings Um, The original text would not have, and in keeping in mind also that this is a sermon um, that Jesus is preaching in Matthew 5, how we have broken down Matthew 5 through 7, um, that's a sermon that as as a sermon does, builds upon itself. This isn't like the book of Proverbs where it's this verse here and this verse here and they may or may not be connected with one another. But but this is a sermon that is building upon itself. And so Christ has laid out those who are blessed in the kingdom and how they are to um, be salt in the earth and light in the world. They are to be those who um, live distinctively and make a difference in the world around them. And in this, Jesus then flows into the means by which we would do so. Um, yes, through the Spirit and, and through regeneration and new birth, but in, in this would be um, according and by the word of the Lord and by His law. Christ in this section is is going to show us the reality of, of how He um, fulfills the law and then the reality of, of how we are to live in light of that. Um, and, and again, this flowing into where we're going to be over the next uh, at least next week as we look at the next section of Jesus fleshing this out more. But if you have a copy of scripture again, go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read together verses 17 through 20. Um, so if you would just follow along as I read to you. Here Jesus states, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I am not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, Our God in heaven, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful um, for your spirit who um, gives us understanding to it, convicts our heart by it, leads us into righteousness through it. Father, we pray that today that that would would be um, your will and your work, that as your word is proclaimed, that you would... Sanctify your people in truth as Christ prayed for us. It's through him that we pray these things. Amen. So again, here Jesus is coming out of the section of the Beatitudes, out of the reality that we are to be salt and light in the world. And, and again, not, not this segmented train of thought or segmented thoughts just put together here, but he's flowing out of those things into this reality of um, his dealing with the law and how the law relates to these things, and how it relates to those who are in the kingdom. And again, this flows into where we're going to be next week. So a lot of um, what's here is going to tie into that. But Jesus in this shows um, two things that I think that we primarily need to focus on today. And this is that that in terms of him and what he's teaching here about the kingdom. And how it relates to the law. That as we think of the law in Christ and his work and his teaching. That, that the law through Christ is a law fulfilled. And it's a law to be obeyed. They're not, they're not distinct from one another. So it is a law fulfilled and a law to be obeyed. And Jesus begins this section um, with, with a statement seemingly dealing with where he thinks people are going to go with what he's teaching or or some mindset that they already would have had, where he makes the statement, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. So Jesus makes this statement about the law and the prophets, understanding that would have been the culmination of the Old Testament. Um, The law would have been Moses. um, The prophets would have been all the others that would have come after him. And so we're looking at Jesus is pointing to the Old Testament and the law and the prophets and the teachings that is in them. He says, do not think I came to abolish them. The word abolish there meaning to tear down or destroy, um, to, to tear down a, a wall brick by brick kind of thing. He, he did not come to do away with the law. And again, oftentimes we, we, we see this as if we hear it proclaimed. I won't say Andy Stanley's name, but there was a couple of years ago where a pastor said that we needed to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament as if it had no bearing on anything that we do. We needed to, to be done with that. But Jesus says we're, he didn't come to, to do away with it. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to destroy it. So it's been vital for us as we begin this and we're looking into this of what Jesus is coming out of this instruction on being salt and light and the Beatitudes, and he's coming into this idea of the law the first thing we have to come to grips with is Jesus didn't destroy it. Jesus didn't abolish the law. Jesus was not an antinomian. If you don't know what that means, antinomian is just a big word that means anti-law. It would be those who, who would say, well, we, don't, we don't need the law. The law has nothing to do with us. We live however we want to because we're under grace. People who apparently have never read Romans 6. And Jesus wasn't that. Jesus wasn't coming saying, hey, all these rules and regulations were had. I've, I came to just completely do away with those. We're going to destroy those. We're going to cast those to the side and we're not going to worry about that stuff anymore. Jesus made very clear from the beginning of this section, I did not come to do that. But then look at what it does say. I didn't come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. Jesus makes the statement regarding the law and it's it's bearing upon um, his people. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to destroy it. Rather, he came to fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness, as he says whenever he's speaking to John regarding his baptism. That Jesus' relationship with the law, again, was not one of a destroyer and a conqueror, but rather one of a fulfiller. All the things we see in the New Testament or the Old Testament, we see fulfilled in finding their yes and their amen in Christ. We look at the idea of Jesus fulfilling the prophets and him fulfilling the prophecies that were to come, some of which were fulfilled at his first advent, some of which will be fulfilled at his second. But Jesus pointing to the reality that he didn't come to do away with those things, he came to fulfill them. And as we look at this idea of the law, Jesus saying he came to fulfill the law on behalf of his people. We need to understand what that means and what Jesus was getting at and how the rest of the scriptures teach regarding this. Understand what it's saying and what it's not saying. And Jesus speaks of this idea of him coming to fulfill the law. I think there's a lot of things we could get out here, but at least a bare minimum of he came to meet the requirement and the standard of it. That Jesus came to fulfill what was required in the demands and commands, and the, to obtain the blessing of the law. In Romans ten fourteen, it says Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. That Jesus is the righteousness through which we, um, Jesus is the one through which we obtain the righteousness of the law. Oftentimes, the law is. Is broken down into to three sections, and, and sometimes I debate whether it should be or shouldn't be. I don't I don't know. I don't think it hurts necessarily to look at it in that way. But as we as we look at it according to the ceremonial and the the moral and the judicial side of the law, and we look at this idea of Christ fulfilling them, we see in the ceremonial law that we we've seen the priest, we've seen the temple, we've seen the feast and the sacrifices. And we read the book of Hebrews, and we see the fullness of what Jesus is saying here, that he is the, the fullness and the fulfillment of these things. He is the priest to end all priests. He is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is the temple who dwells among us. That Christ is the fulfillment of these sacrifices and observances and, and feasts and these things that were Prescribed and commanded to the people that he is the fulfillment of these things. And and with those particular aspects of the law, we see in the book of Hebrews that he, again, didn't abolish them. He completed them and fulfilled them. They were a shadow pointing to him. Oftentimes, even as we look at this, people will say, well, you tell me I'm not supposed to do this as commanded in the Old Testament. Why aren't we killing goats and sheep anymore? Well, because Christ completed that one. They were pointing to him, and he has satisfied those things. He has fulfilled those things. As we look at the judicial side of the law and the the mandate it would have required of lawbreakers, Christ satisfied and fulfilled the requirements of the law in that regard. We read it earlier in Galatians chapter 3. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ fulfilled and satisfied the, the judicial requirement of the law in bearing the curse and the wrath of God on behalf of his people, bearing their sins upon the cross, fulfilling and satisfying the righteous requirement of the law and its judicial side. You know, it's moral side. We see Christ fully obeying and keeping the law. Here, I think when Christ is getting this idea, uh, uh, we, have to, we have to let that sit on us. That Christ fulfilled the law on behalf of his people. Again, Christ didn't come to say, hey, look at all these commands you thought you had to keep. Don't worry about those. They don't mean anything. Rather, Christ came and he says, no, they absolutely mean anything. And what what they required, God meant. And what they required, God will demand. And I came to fulfill those things on behalf of my people. That Christ has fully kept and obeyed the righteous requirement of the law on behalf of his people. We just did a study with the youth on the active and passive obedience of Christ. And I think oftentimes this aspect of, of Christ and his work is lost. When we speak of the active and passive obedience of Christ, Blake, I won't call on you. When we speak of the active and passive obedience of Christ, we, we need to understand what we mean one, understand that, that all Christ did was both. But when theologians often speak of the passive obedience of Christ, they're speaking of what we often emphasize and, and often limit to the work of, of Christ, that he suffered and died on behalf of his people. In his passive obedience, he bore the wrath, he bore the righteous, he bore the, the righteous wrath and judgment that was due his people for their sin-breaking and in so propitiated or satisfied wrath on behalf of his people. But oftentimes we forget and we overlook or either we just have never been taught the the reality of the, the active obedience of Christ. Meaning he fully kept and obeyed on behalf of his people. That Christ fulfilled the law in that when you look at Christ, there was no sin in him. When you read of Christ, you go to Luke and, and the, the narrative story, the birth narrative of Luke, and after he's born, and how many times according to the law of Moses is spoken in Luke chapter 2 of how Christ was brought up. When you see Jesus in his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, where he's baptized unto repentance, and he tells John it's to fulfill all righteousness. We see Jesus, as we sang earlier, the true and better Adam who's in the wilderness, the true and better Israel who's wandering in the wilderness and does not sin. That Christ did not just die on behalf of his people, but he lived on behalf of his people. That Christ, in his life and in his obedience, was not merely setting a moral example. Was not merely setting out a lie for us to emulate. He was perfectly obeying the righteous requirements of the law in order that his righteousness would be credited to his people and they would stand righteous as if they have perfectly kept and obeyed the law. And so Christ has fulfilled the law in this and in so has fulfilled again the righteous requirement of it. And in fulfilling the judicial side of it, has taken away the fear of condemnation or curse or judgment on behalf of his people. Again, as we read earlier in Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because he is absorbed and born and paid the penalty of a half of his people. There is therefore now no condemnation. The law and its righteous requirement has been fulfilled. The law and its righteous judgment that is due has been fulfilled. And we who now are in Christ Jesus stand uncondemned and righteous. Because Christ, again, did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. And in this we would often think and I think we often do think and I think we often operate and and, and I, I was even convicted as I was thinking back through things of, of things I've taught in the past and, and just even how I tend to think even now. We hear those things and we hear Christ is, has fulfilled the law. Christ has fulfilled set us free from the condemnation of the law, from the judgment of the law. Christ has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Christ obeyed on our behalf. And so, okay, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, but now he's fulfilled it. And so we can, just, we can just not worry about it. It's often how it seems to be portrayed and taught and thought through. But Jesus, in the next part, where if we look at this idea of Jesus having a law that's fulfilled Now shows us that this is still a law that is to be obeyed. Jesus in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Here Jesus gives two time frames um, until heaven and earth pass away. So as long as there's an earth, and until all is accomplished, until all is accomplished. Until he's done what he is going to do. Until God is, all that he has ordained has come to pass. I think they're both pointing to the same thing in a sense. As long as there is earth and heaven. As we know it. What does Jesus say? Not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law. Again, you may have heard this before. So I won't get into to much of it. But the iota being one of the smallest Hebrew letters. And a dot would be some of the symbols they would use in there. Jesus is saying not even the smallest part of the law is going away as long as heaven and earth stand. Again, we look at the the breakdown of the law. Again, uh, ceremonial aspects of it. He's fulfilled and they were a shadow pointing to him. The judicial side, he is satisfied. And we look at this idea of the moral law. Jesus is saying um, none of this is going away. None of this is being set aside. I didn't come to abolish it and I'm not setting it aside now that it's Once it's fulfilled in me, but as long as heaven and earth are here, the law will not pass away. So while it is fulfilled, it is not done away with. And then verse 19, Jesus presses that even further. Therefore relaxes whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here, there's almost a play in words. Um, Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the, the law. And then here it says whoever relaxes, or um, some translations may say break, the, the word there is pointing to one who sets aside, one who, who, in a sense, moves out of the way, regards, disregards, so to speak. So it's not whoever breaks the law as in like, oh, no, I broke the law again, and so what what's we're getting at. Rather, the one who sets it aside. The one who, who disregards it. Jesus speaks of those as, and, and speaks against that type of mindset regarding the law. But rather, the one who does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And oftentimes, and even in preparing through this, I think we have a hard time reconciling those two things. We have a hard time reconciling and coming to grips with and and even at times become uncomfortable in how we speak of the reality that Christ has fulfilled the law. The law is fulfilled in us. I no longer fear the weight and condemnation of the law. And we have trouble reconciling that with, now go and keep it. Now go and obey it. Walk according to it. Live according to it. We have trouble reconciling these things. It was one of the, the guys I read. I forgot to write his name down, but it wasn't me. It says, those of us who are in Christ have been saved from the law of God as a necessary means of salvation. But we have also been saved to the law of God as a way of loving and worshiping the God who saved us. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, we're no longer under the law to be condemned by it. We are now inlawed to it because of our betrothal to Christ. He has written the law and love for it into our hearts. Christ here is speaking of the reality that the law has been fulfilled in him. And we look at the fullness of what that means, again, meaning that the righteousness of it has been fulfilled in him and granted to us. The the condemnation that the law would have most certainly um, put upon us has been satisfied in him. But again, that doesn't mean we disregard the law. It just changes in a sense the way we relate to it. And again, we, we see clear even in the speaking of the new covenant that I don't think it was, I don't think we can even read the, the language of the new covenant and how it's spoken of in the Old Testament and think that somehow we, this would be any other way. For what does it say? I will take out a heart of flesh and I will give them a heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. And what's part of the promise? And I will write the law upon where? Their heart. Right? So in this new covenant, in this being made new in Christ, in this reality of the fulfillment of all of these things in Christ Jesus, we've been regenerated, we've been made new. And in that God has written the law of God upon our hearts. We are those who are called to walk according to the law. Not in order to obtain righteousness, but because we are righteous in him and because the law of God has been written on our hearts, we are those who are now to not set it aside, but we're to be those who keep it and teach others to do the same. Again, Jesus, even in the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Baptize and to teach them all that I've commanded you. So we see this reality of those who are in the kingdom, those who are to be salt and light in the world, those who are these blessed ones who are pure in heart, are those who live in, in, by the power of the Spirit, through the righteousness of God, and yet walk according to um, the commands and the, the teachings of Him. Again, let's not confuse these two things. Because even now I'm nervous in the way I'm saying it. Let's not confuse Because again, we we often don't have this category of hearing obey the law. Do what Christ has commanded us to do and not hear that as saying do this and be saved. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what Christ is saying. But we who are of the kingdom, we who have had the law fulfilled on our behalf in him, we who are those who um, are reconciled to God in him, Are those who, as Romans 8 said, have now been empowered by the Spirit to, walk, to, to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law? As we look at this, we, we won't go into a full diatribe of it, but the law is often spoken of by, by the reformers in terms of the threefold purpose of the law. It's a mirror that that reflects our sinfulness. It's a a means to restrain evil in the world. And for those who are in the kingdom, those who are in Christ, it is a guide unto holiness. It is a guide for the will of God in us and how we are to live. Christ is commanding us and indeed showing us that the law is not to be set aside though it is fulfilled in Him. But rather it is to be taught and kept not as a means to obtain righteousness but because we are righteous I can relate to it without fear of condemnation I can relate to it without fear of judgment I was even thinking through of how do we often set aside the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same One of the ways it was pressed on me in that is, again, you look at the three purposes of the law. And I think oftentimes we, we relax the law and we relax the, the least and at times even the greatest of the commandments whenever we're proclaiming the gospel because we don't want to come across in a certain way. So we'll, we'll soften the law. We'll make it where it's not what it says it is. And it doesn't require what it says it requires. And it doesn't demand what we say, what it says it demands But I think I see it most in in me. and I have conversations with brothers even before I I knew I was teaching this text and wrestling through some things of the idea of holiness in the life of believers and how we do this. And the call to holiness and resting in Christ and His righteousness, but this, this demand and call for holiness in us. I think we often relax and set aside the commands of the law And that often we who would say we are righteous in Christ and we're trusting in Christ and we don't fear condemnation in Christ, we live as if there's actually zero demand for holiness on our lives anymore. We live as if, well, he he died to save me so I can just keep right on doing whatever I want to do. and We set it aside as if because it's been fulfilled for us that it no longer has any bearing on us. But rather, Jesus is teaching that those who are of the kingdom would be those who, um, though righteous in him, would walk according to the, to the commands of him, commands of his law, what is required of us. And again, even as we look at the New Testament, if we want to say, well, okay, because again, I, I, would, I would agree with this statement that he has he fulfilled and satisfied the, the Mosaic Covenant. And there are some who would say, so he did that, and so only what was taught in the New Testament. I don't necessarily hold to that, but they would say whatever is taught in the New Testament, okay, fine. But If you look what was taught in the New Testament, it was the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. James referenced adultery and murder. Paul references honoring your father and your mother. We see the realities. that It's God alone that we're to serve and to worship. We're not to be covetous people. We're not to slander or to be those who walk according to the precepts and the commands of the God who has saved us again Romans six would, would point to this, this reality that we who are in Christ have been buried with him in baptism. again, not to get into a, a, a baptism sermon, but that again we don't we don't throw you all the way under the water just because we're Baptists. we are throw you all the way under the water because we would we would say that's what the, the picture is pointing to, what the word means and what it's pointing to. We were buried with him in baptism. What? Raised to walk into a newness of life. And Paul spends the rest of that section speaking of how now we're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive into righteousness and walk in holiness. And we do so according to the commands of the law and the precepts, so according to what Christ has taught us. So Paul, show, or... Jesus shows there's a, a law that's fulfilled and a law that's to be obeyed. They're the same. Then in verse 20, he makes this statement that would have been staggering to um, all who would have heard it, especially the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness succeeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, keep in mind of who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples. And keep in mind of who he's talking about, the scribes and the Pharisees. This would have been the ones that no one would have thought they could have obtained their righteousness. These would have been the guys. I'll never be as holy and righteous as they are. I can only hope to get close enough to to make it count. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now why would Jesus have tied that into this idea of him filling the law and us walking in obedience to the law and not setting it aside? I think there's a two-fold deal here. One, if you deal with how Jesus, um, how Jesus dealt with, with the scribes and the Pharisees and some of his interactions, he dealt with them because they had set aside the law. There's times where he dealt with them and, and confronted them with the reality that they had set aside the commands of God for the precepts of man. They had created their own law and set aside the law of God. So I think there's a sense in which he's pointing to this reality of the, the righteousness of the scribes. You can't have this righteousness set up by your own standard and your own commands and your own law that you've created. Your righteousness has to be according to the law of God. And I think there's another sense in which he's getting at there, especially flowing out of where we're going to be. And I don't want to preach where Pastor Jimmy's going to go next week. But if you look at where he goes in the rest of this section and where we'll be next week, What is he dealing with? The heart of the law, quite literally, the heart of the law. That the law was not concerned with an outward conformity, but with an inward reality. That the law was not concerned with, does everybody look at you and think you've kept it? The law was concerned with, in your heart, have you kept it? And again, what is Jesus often confronting the scribes and the Pharisees with? You whitewashed tombs. Look nice and pretty and painted on the outside, but inside's dead body and corpses. You who are like those who have washed the outside of the cup and put it away, but the inside's still dirty. Jesus is constantly confronting the scribes and the Pharisees with the reality that their, their righteousness goes nothing beyond the surface. This is a mere outward display for the world to see and to try to justify themselves in it, but inside they're dead. And Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think if we let that reality set in, that'll drive us to a twofold reality. Again, you go down to the, toward the end of, or elsewhere in the, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, what, what? We're to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect, right? Here he's saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, I think that points us to two realities. One is we are are pressed and drawn to the reality and the demands of the law and how that drives us to the Christ who has fulfilled them. If I'm to truly have that kind of righteousness, a complete, perfect, perpetual obedience to the law, that ain't coming from me. English majors, I'm sorry. I ain't got it. And that drives us to the Christ who has fulfilled the law on our behalf. That drives us to the Christ who is our righteousness. But it also drives us to walk in holiness and conformity to the Christ who has saved us. We who are his people, who have been saved, who stand righteous because he has fulfilled the law on our behalf. Are those who have been called not to set aside the law, but to walk in it. Not on a mere outward expression. But again, flowing from a heart of flesh that he has given us that now has the law written on it. We are to be those who walk in holiness. And I think we often look at this. And again, even looking at where Jesus is going to go with anger and, and how that you're guilty of murder and lust and how you're guilty of adultery and, and dealing with divorce and retaliation and all of these things. And we look at this and we look at the law and we say, well, I can't, I can't keep it. I can't keep it perfectly. So we just kind of take that as I can't keep it perfectly. So let's just not worry about it. But for those who are in Christ, again, we're, we're, we're not trying to earn our righteousness in this thing. I no longer fear the, the curse of the law because Christ has taken it. But we are to be those who are growing in every conformity to the one who has saved us. We are to be those who are walking not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And in so doing putting the deeds of the flesh to death. We are to be those who are considering ourselves dead to sin and and, and alive to righteousness. We are to be those who are constantly putting off the old man who has already been put off. And putting on the new man who has already been put on. We're to be those who are growing and walking in holiness and righteousness because Christ has made us righteous. For those who are are not in Christ... Here, here, kind of a two-fold deal. One, you can try to ignore the law. You can try to make out like it's not, it doesn't exist and it doesn't demand what it demands and doesn't require what it requires and isn't going to cost you what it says it's going to cost you. And you can seek to live as if the law has been done away with or the law doesn't matter. But in so doing, the curse and the weight and the righteous requirement of the law is still upon you, and you don't meet it, and the curse is still there, and the judgment of God is still at hand. And don't hear the sermon today and think, okay, I need to go, I need to go turn over a new leaf and be better. You need to go to the Christ who has fulfilled it. You need to go to the Christ who has perfectly obeyed. Go to the Christ who has borne the curse of the law on behalf of his people. Go to him. Look to him for righteousness. Look for him for salvation. Look to him to be forgiven. Look to him and him alone as the Christ who has fulfilled the law on behalf of his people. For those who are in Christ, to all here who are in Christ, but I'll speak specifically to those who are who we are family here at Oak Valley? We who have been redeemed by the the one who has fulfilled the law for us. We who have been redeemed, and and the curse has been taken. Condemnation is no more, and the righteous requirement of the law is done away with for us. Not done away with, but has been satisfied for us in Christ. We who now would say we are to be salt and light of the world, we who are those who would say we want to be the blessed ones of the kingdom, we're not going to do that by setting aside the law. We're not going to do that by setting aside holiness and obedience. We're not going to do that with having zero regard to conformity to the one who has purchased us. We who are His people, we who know the truths that we've sang this morning—that He is the, the true and better Adam, and the true and better Moses, and the true and better David—he is the one who has saved His people. We are the ones who know that there's now no, therefore, no condemnation for us. We have now been set free. From the righteous requirement of the law and from the curse of the law, to now go and live in obedience to the law. Again, going back to the quote earlier, we're set free from it in order to try to obtain righteousness. But now we walk in obedience to it as those who are righteous. We walk in obedience to it as those who are not condemned. We walk in obedience to it as those who are children of God who long for his coming and know we will be like him, as John says, and so we we conform ourselves to him, purify ourselves as he is pure, longing and waiting for that day. So what's your relationship and view to the law? Are you still trying to live in it as if you have to to do enough of it to earn the righteousness of God or are you looking to Christ who is the fulfillment of it? And for those who would say you're looking to the fulfillment of it, are you living as if it's been set aside and it no longer has any bearing to you? Or are we living as those who now as children of the kingdom want to walk in obedience and conformity to the one we call Father? To die into sin and to live into righteousness. To walk into holiness. And I'll I'll press this point and then we'll, we'll close. We're not called to do that alone, church. If you're here and you're not a member of of Oak Valley and you're not a member of anywhere and it's kind of the Lone Ranger Christian and I just got me and Jesus, understand that's not how the Bible's called us to walk in holiness. It's not how the Bible's called us to walk in accordance to the Scripture. We're called to do this together. We need each other in this. Again, read the commands of Scripture. There's there's a bunch of y'alls in there. I need you to help me walk in holiness and conformity to the Word. Resting and trusting in Christ and his righteousness on my behalf. Resting and trusting and there's no condemnation and he has borne the penalty for me when I inevitably break it. And to get back up and to pursue righteousness and holiness in light of what Christ has done for me. I need you. You need me and we need each other in this. If you're not a part of a body that's drawing you to that end be a part of a body that's drawing you to that end. Because left to ourselves, we will deceive ourselves and we will set this aside very, very quickly. But let us be those who rest in the Christ who has fulfilled the law for us. And in so doing, and out of that, be those who walk and honor the law and walk in obedience to it. Would you pray with me? God in heaven. Thank you for the goodness of your word. Thank you for the goodness of your law. And how it's a mirror that reveals our sinfulness and our condemnation to us. How it exposes the sinfulness of sin. Christ, we thank you that you fulfilled the law on behalf of your people. That in you the righteousness requirement of the law is met. In you the the curse and punishment of the law is satisfied. In you the, the sacrifice to atone for sin is complete and the priest to intercede for his people has been met. Father, would you work in those who are your children Convict us of ways that we've set aside holiness. Set aside obedience. Excused it away because we, we say we can't keep it perfectly, so we're not going to keep it at all. Father, would you grow in us as you've promised you would a desire and a reality of of practical holiness. Of walking in accord to your word. In light of our righteousness in Christ. In light of his sin bearing death. Lead us to be those who walk in holiness and righteousness. It's through him that we pray these things. Amen.